So, uh, pathetically, but totally honest here, I I don't have an intro, and I'll just be <laughs> flat out open about that. But I think it, we've talked about this before. Summer is slow. There's not a whole lot of news. If there's one episode where I can afford just to tell you, like, hey man, I blew it. It's this one okay. because we actually have a real large hodgepodge of stuff going on. Yeah, it's it's hashtag content season, but uh, we're just gonna jump right into it. Some would say this is your best intro ever. You would probably lead that charge. I'd be some, yes. <laughs> okay. So here's the rundown. Uh, we're going to talk about the early enrollees, early in quotes, for prospects, now recruits, now commits, are on campus. They're signed. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, tight end. PJ Musford, defensive tackle. Quarterback, Will Levis, defensive lineman, Judge Culpepper. They're here. They're going to have six extra weeks. Uh, so they're not quite early, but more so than the rest of their classmates will arrive in late June. Get on to, I broke down Trace McSorley's throw from every throw from this past season. Talk a little bit about that. Um, the latest edition of Stupid Penn State Power Rankings. Yes. I'm very excited for this. Uh, and then we've got some recruiting and, of course, mailbag. Uh, but first, some relative breaking news from yesterday. Yeah. Um, Rob Martin, redshirt freshman offensive lineman from New Jersey, uh, giving up football. And to be honest, if, if you're on the board, if you've been around, not a surprise. Martin was was behind. Um, you know, he had classmates, Mike Miranda and C.J. Thorpe show up on the depth chart. Des Holmes as well, but Des Holmes is a tackle. Martin, I, I just it wasn't going to cut it and, uh, you know, cut his losses. And I think he's going to stay at Penn State or he's going to – pursue some other activities but uh that's it i mean doesn't change anything for penn state um he was you know deep deep reserve i think i don't even think he played in the blue white game so um from that aspect i mean it's it's not going to impact anything moving forward for penn state but you know it gets him to 86 scholarships and i think that's the important thing and, and you don't like to quantify a, a player by a scholarship but they need to be at 85 at some point so i think this is the first domino to fall yeah from a very cold you know, non yes. yeah, aspect that's yeah. it, an investment, all these scholarships and the returns, you know, sometimes are great and immediate. And sometimes for Rob Martin, um, they swing and miss. And I, and I think, you know, for him, if he truly lost his love for football, good for you to be able to walk away. I think some, some kids are burdened with the expectations of their parents, of their friends, of their families for so long. You've been defined as like, listen, you are the best football player in middle school and high school. Now you're a Penn State recruit. Now you're at Penn State. And honestly, when you looked at him, obviously he doesn't measure up to the other offensive lineman on the roster. Right. Not a 300 he pounder. He's a little bit shorter. Everybody else. And yeah. I think it also goes to show you, you know, his situation aside that it, especially in recruiting when you're looking at more developmental prospects, it's so hit and miss. Especially on the offensive line. Right. right. Because here's the quote that James gave a couple signing days ago at his press conference, very confident in what he would do. And it's always a happy day, right? There, there's nothing negative or even just kind of like uh, neutral, negative. neutral that's <laughs> yeah. even going to be said. It's all very positive. So um, it, it's a little bit long, but I'll just say, you know, I'm really excited about Robert because he doesn't have hair on his face. His face looks like he's about 14 years old. He's about 275 pounds right now. He has so much room for growth. When he decides to start growing some facial hair and fill out, I think we're going to have a chance to get a guy who's got a really, really big upside. Um, blah, blah, blah. I like the baby face guys that know you, you're still growing and still maturing. It really fits that model. His dad was a basketball player, played at Lehigh. He's got a big supportive family. We expect him to come and do really good things. So clearly from the outset, it was, this is going to be a long road. That road's now been stunted. As you said, the, the bigger story, if you care strictly about the program, is down to 86 scholarships, but um, something that had been in the works for a while. But again, you wouldn't have known that 
you know, going back to two signing days ago. Yeah, and, and you know, signing day, everybody's a star and everything like that. And he played for Augie Hoffman at, at St. Joe's Montvale, which traditionally in, in New Jersey, even the Northeast, produces maybe it may be the best offensive line school in the Northeast. Augie's a, a former player, co- you know, great coach, great uh, skill developer uh, along the offensive line. So, you know, maybe his outlook as a prospect was aided by the fact that, you know, he's technically good. Um, you know, he, he's technically skilled going up against, you know, high school competition. So it kind of masks some of the athletic deficiencies. So. But he also had offers, Duke, Kentucky, oh, yeah. Maryland, Nebraska, Virginia. Tech. Yeah. And, so. and when you play for Augie Hoffman, you know, th- this is a guy that's going to, you know, for the most part, shoot you straight, but y- you're, you're going to get a well-coached guy. You're going to get a guy that knows how to play in a big program. And, you know, sometimes that sort of masks the deficiencies. And I think that's what happened here. Right. So. All right, moving on. Yeah, uh, moving on. Those those early enrollees that we talked about are on campus. Uh, Mustafer, Culpepper, Fryermuth, Levis, uh, two New England guys in there. Um, shout but, out. Yeah, shout out. Always. Callahan effect. Um, Hashtag. But, no, nah, it, it, it's big for them. And I, I don't think it changes anything in, in the outset or the outlook for the, the 2018 season because we're talking about Mustafer playing. We're talking about Fryermuth playing. Culpepper, you know, maybe could work his way in there depending on some of the other defensive tackles. And, and, and Levis is a no-brainer red shirt in my opinion. So, don't think it changes a ton, but hey, six more weeks of weight training, um, you know, getting onto campus, uh, adapting to uh, a college lifestyle, it, it's it's a big deal. No, it is. And I think, you know, people have brought this up too, the, the positions there, three out of the four of them, Levis, an obvious redshirt. I don't think that's in your opinion. I think it's just totally accepted at this right. point um, with, with Stevens at healthy and Trump could, Clifford could back. play the lion though. He's an athletic kid. <laughs> He's very athletic, well-built. Um, good pedigree. 225. That's, that's impressive. Yes. So the other three, though, two defensive linemen. There's an obvious need at tackle. PJ Mustafer, top 100 kid, high four star. You know, he's got good pedigree, of course, his older brother playing in Notre Dame. All those things going for him. The six weeks helps. It obviously would have been a lot better had they come in as, as true early enrollees. Then you look at Judge Culpepper, added a ton of weight up to about 288, I believe. Yeah, two in the mid 280s, I think I had written down. Right, which we had him at about 260 during the process. Right. Um, so he was discussed as probably going to convert to tackle. Definitely. Definitely now. And then Pat Frymer, 257, jump into that tight end competition. I still think you have to start with the vets there. Jonathan Holland, Nick Bowers just came up on our Q&A on the board and, and became the mailbag. Um, but, you know, the, those young guys, it's a crapshoot right now. But the six weeks to kind of transform your body a little bit, which we saw. I'm trying to think of who it was that James spoke to so much. Nick Tarburton, especially. Right. Shedding all the bad weight and what that did for him over the spring. I, I, it's significant. Yeah, and I like Mustafer here because he was a wrestler. He had to keep under 285 for so long, and now he's, uh, I think, 296, just shy of 300. Um, he's going in there, and he's not that much less experienced than the guy, you know, Fred Hansard and, and, and Corey Bolt. You know, those guys that are young kids in front of them and haven't played a ton of football, he's not that far behind the curve. And if he can break into that front five or six, and, and Sean Spencer likes to play six defensive tackles, maybe he played five last year for the most part. If he can break into that, I, I see no reason why he can't play right away. Um, and a great Aggressive kid, uh, great kid, by the way, um, an aggressive kid. I think he surprised me a lot during Under Armour because I wasn't sure what to expect. You, you knew the recruiting hype and everything with with PJ, and you know, you've known his brother for a year, or I've known his brother for years, so wasn't sure really what to expect. He went out there, he stood out among some of the best players in the country at Under Armour, and, and really impressed. And I think you know, from that, for, for me, from that week, he went from a guy that's sort of on the fence to a guy that I think that you know they're going to play. And the other part about him too is you know he doesn't 
doesn't necessarily need to prove that, hey, you can step in as a second-string guy to play. You could be, as you said, on that third string, and I think that's where they need to help because you've got Kevin Givens and, and Robert Windsor at the top. Right behind them, Antonio Shelton seems locked into the number three spot. Fred Hanser should be the backup um, one technique. And, you know, third string in the rotation, but also in the event of injury. I mean, I think it's highly unlikely you right. get through the entire season of those top four guys not only live up to the expectations, but remain on the field. Like, it's just so physical. It's snap after snap. Some of those guys have already missed time. Um, and if you feel, like, at least confident based on what he does at the end of camp that he can step in, that's, I think, all you can ask for. Y- yeah, questions with Ellison Jordan, questions with Corey Bolds. Um, obviously, they moved Hunter Kelly over there. He's, he's not the answer. So, um, you know, there's going to be uh, there's going to be the opportunity there, and I think that's really all you can ask for if you're Mustafer, if you're Culpepper at 285, 288 pounds. I mean, that's that's crazy to think where he was. You know, he was 255, 260 last summer. He's a massive kid in the in the sense that he can add that weight, and he, he really doesn't look that big. Um, but he's he's uh, he's pretty dense. So um, interested to see what he can do. High motor kid. He can get in there, throw people around. Um, I'm I'm hoping he for his sake, you know, learns how to take collisions a little better because he looks like a kid that could you know eventually end up with some concussions because that's how hard he plays. Oh, okay. Um, I was really wondering yeah. where that was going. Yeah. I mean, you could look at one of us and say, I wonder how he takes collisions, and it's probably because we're running in the opposite direction. Right, right. No, I mean, he's a, he's a physical kid. He's a high-motor kid. Uh, any other stereotypes you want to throw out there? Nope. Um, but no, I mean, he's just a he, he's a banger in there, and he's going to have to learn some of the nuances of the position. He played defensive end. He played tight end. Um, so he's, he's not accustomed to playing the interior. So that's why I think he's kind of on the fence in that red shirt. Um, you know, a couple of months ago, I thought he was a no-brainer red shirt. Now, I mean, he's a, he, he physically, he looks like he could step in and, and give them a couple quality reps. Okay, let me take you off the fence and on the spot. Okay. Between Culpepper and Fryermuth, again, the positional aspect of this is the most interesting part. Who do you think at the end of the season has more snaps? Of course, Fryermuth offensively and Culpepper on the D-line. Fryermuth, I think. Okay. I, I mean, I think that's uh, going back to, to the room that he's in. I mean, Bowers has been hurt. Holland's been hurt. Uh, Danny Dalton, you know, is in front of him. I just, I don't see a ton in there. 257 pounds. He's, he's 19 years old. He's stronger than some of those guys already. Um, so he's got the opportunity to come in. I think he can help you on special teams. Um, you know, he's an athletic kid. I mean, he's not a four or five kid or anything like that, but he's fast enough. He can do some different things. So um, I think it's in, in that in that hypothetical that you're giving me, I think it's Fryermuth all day. Every okay. Day. Yeah. All right. I would take him as well. I, I think, again, it's more – it hinges on can Nick Bauer stay healthy because I think if he can, which is, is one of the bigger question marks of the entire camp, he could fill that Mike Kosicki, listen, I'm going to take 80 to 85% of the snaps and the rest of you are going to stand on the sidelines and only come out when I need a breather. Right. Like Because he is the only total package in my mind of this group where you could rely on him in the passing game to hold up as a blocker, do better than Mike did, which isn't asking for a whole lot. But you know, in the small snippets we saw and, and what we've heard about and seen behind the scenes, I mean, again, it's all about health for him right. because the rest I think you can feel great about. Yeah, and if, you, and if Bowers is healthy, if Holland's healthy, if those guys are, I mean, it, he doesn't need to play this year in a sense that you know Penn State's not going to rely on him as a starter or anything like that Mm -hmm. but I I mean I think that he has the ability more so than than Zach Koontz who's been here for a few months but Koontz has to fill out he's six seven and a half it's going to take a while for him to get up to 250 260 or whatever so I think for our muser guy right there okay 
Um, 13 guys showing up later this summer, I think June, uh, late June for the second summer session. Um, we talked a little bit yesterday on the site or two days ago on the site about the guys that we're looking forward to seeing the most. I know you picked uh, a couple of Virginia guys, Ricky Slade and Nana. Um, I went with, uh, Friar Muth and Rashid Walker and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing these guys. I mean, we, uh, this isn't on the rundown, so I kind of threw you for a loop, but looking forward to seeing, dose of my own medicine yeah, here, looking huh? forward to seeing Walker and, and Nana. Um, these are two Massive guys. I mean, 6'6", six, six, uh, 290s uh, for each of them. Uh, just what you want offensive tackles to look like. And I don't think they're going to play this year. I don't think there's a need for them to play this no. year. But, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what those guys can do when they get into a nutrition program, when they get into a strength program, because the clay is there. And, and it's, you know, Walker, I think, is probably the most talented offensive tackle they've brought in. I think, too, about Nana specifically, he introduces a different body type to that offensive line. Where you look at them the last couple of seasons, it's been a sore spot on the roster, but more specific to last year, I think when you look at the games when they underperformed, they struggled specifically with speed, with athleticism. And they're purposely trying to load up on 300-pounders up front, guys that you just physically can't move. Chaz Wright, Steven Gonzalez, even Connor McGovern's up well above 300. Um, and Nana, of course, needs to add functional weight, but man, that dude is an athlete. Yeah. And so I think what he could do, as you saw C.J. Thorpe do a year ago, and even going back two seasons with the defensive ends like Shaka Tony, Shane Simmons, provide a freshman presence on the scout team where late in the season we're hearing, man, this kid is giving us great looks and again he'll need to add weight he's not in early won't have as much time with the strength and conditioning program but just you know that ability to kick out that much faster on the edge and say listen you're not just going to run by me like that's something very different than you've seen especially at right tackle for penn state in a long time i'm fascinated by the 2020 prospects at offensive tackle and and that's way too far in the future to be talking about but you've got those two guys will fries will be a veteran bates whether or not he he goes this year next year won't be there anymore um you got des holmes gellerstead um you're, you're looking at uh, you know potentially adding Anthony Wig and a JUCO guy, uh, so you've got options, and and they're just a lot better off at offensive tackle than than they were you know even what a year ago. So oh for sure yeah. So check out the roundtable series. We're gonna have a lot more. We started with offensive freshman watch. Uh, I think we've got Mark Brennan is doing the next one of uh, guys who need to step up in either side of the ball. I'll have a roundtable. We need at some to step point. up and finish and answer him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. we really do. We have not gotten back to Mark. I just uh, forgot about that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, moving on. All right, back to the script. Uh, McSorley's passing chart. So if you if you follow my tale of the tape series, unlike Sean, you should. You um, well, thank you. That's a nice uh, save there. I read them quietly. Okay. All right. On private browsing. You're not so you like don't reading know. them aloud to your kids before bed. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, understand that offensively, I chart every single throw that Trace McSorley makes, and that's by direction. So whether he's throwing to the left, up the middle of the field, or to the right, and distance. And I break that down between passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage, 0 to 9 yards downfield, 10 to 19, and then 20 plus. So I published my first chart uh, June 1st last year and it was pretty raw you know didn't account for things like drops or batted passes relied largely on uh completion percentage this week man i stepped up my game all right so this is up on the site it's vip but because again i I think we consider our listeners here some vip form and especially if you double up god bless you you're all vip stuff yeah we'll give you a little bit more info um so basically when you when you compile all of those throws and put them into a season-long chart instead of one you know game per game basis the, the first note I'll offer is actually kind of funny. This came up on Twitter the other day. The idea of a 50-50 ball 
is is no longer just kind of a cliche. It's exactly true. Of the 50 passes McSorley threw 20 yards downfield or further, he completed 50% of them. Man, Joe is a wizard. He was a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> so carefully calculated, he had eight touchdowns, three interceptions. But but overall, the takeaway when you look at all these throws, McSorley from 2016 to 2017 made strides in every single area of the field, left, middle, and right, and in every single depth which is incredibly impressive and I think puts to bed any discussion about... Without Chris Godwin, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the Tommy Stevens talk, which Tommy's a lot of fun. The best player on a team that's struggling is always a backup quarterback because you want to see a change. But McSorley was really, really good. Now that I've said that, does any part of that surprise you just in your basic initial impressions of what you remember watching last season? No, not really. I, I, I mean, just you you watched him and at times he was a little indecisive, a little late with the ball. But I mean, he just was so much more confident, so much more accurate. And I think that, you know, in his second year with everybody f- focusing all their attention on Saquon, I mean, that really doesn't surprise me. I thought he, you know, throwing the ball, people want to jump on uh, on a guy when he, you know, throws two incompletions in a row or something like that. I mean, we didn't see a ton of inconsistency from McSorley, and I think that shows up in the numbers. Right. And the other part is, too, you could say everyone focusing on Saquon, but everyone also dropping at least two safeties back. So they're playing a lot of this soft quarters coverage, meaning you've got the deep part of the field divided into four parts. The corners take one, and each safety takes one. So McSorley, you know, a year ago had more than 16 hundred yards on throws 20 yards or further downfield this season that was cut all the way down to less than 800 so they cut more than in half the yardage Penn State is getting with that deep ball but he made up for it by throwing in that kind of 10 to 19 yard range we're not gonna do a whole lot of numbers because again we want you to listen and we have the stupid Penn State power rankings coming up yes um but the biggest leap you saw with McSorley which was tied to that patience was he jumped from 51 percent completion rate on throws 10 to 19 yards downfield all the way up to over 61 that's a significant jump because again if you're not being afforded those passes downfield where they lost about a thousand yards on deep balls from 2016 to 2017 you've got to find passes underneath you know in 2016 he was good zero to nine yards he bumped that up from 60 to just over 68 percent completion percentage and a lot of those throws were thrown in that range but when he went 10 to 19 again you're talking about intermediate range as his first season as a starter Two touchdowns, three interceptions. This year, that's 12 touchdowns and four picks. So that intermediate range is highly impressive in the throws you kind of have to make. Again, when you're backed up a little bit, we saw a number of them. Washington was an outstanding game for him in that area. Michigan, where they hurt them a little bit. So a lot of those throws were shorter. That's naturally going to boost up his completion percentage. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, he got better 58% overall to 66.5. But the areas where it's still a little bit difficult, he showed the biggest strides. And also throwing left. This was weird. So every time he threw left a year ago, he completed about 55% of those passes, that skyrocketed to 72. Wow. Isn't that strange? That's crazy. That I don't have anything interesting about. It's just a, it's just a fact. Well, I mean, and, and I, I don't have anything to back that up, but that's a pretty significant jump. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like it was a sore spot last year. 55% on the left and right side, he was better down the middle. The middle stayed about the same from year to year. Um, but it was, a, it was a funny jump because throwing deep left – 10 of 13, two touchdowns, one drop. Throwing deep right, 6 of 21. <laughs> wow. And those aren't letdowns by drops. It's probably the sun or something like that. Sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> a reserve. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway, it, it, it's a fun exercise. It tells you exactly where he got better. You can look at the raw statistics. We're going to be inflated based on your opponent, your game plan, everything going on. Uh, but for him, he got better in every single area. That's the most significant takeaway. And he was really good in that intermediate zone. So how much of that changes in 2018 will be fascinating. Right. They're going to face a lot of really good defenses. You're replacing a lot of weapons on the outside. But McSorley himself has never been better and seems primed to make another leap. Yeah, and I think you know the the attention is going to be paid to him. But I mean, you lose. You, you mentioned losing him on the outside, but you lose Hamilton in the slot. You lose Kasicki. How are you lose Kasicki up the middle? Um, so those intermediate throws. I mean, not that they're bailout guys or anything like that, but those are two reliable guys that you're going to have to replace. So we'll see where it goes. But I, I'm just curious, where, where do you think he can make the most improvements? That's a good question. I, th- I think for him, it's it's more a matter of just the, the pocket presence, which isn't to say that he's poor at it or even average. But I think just sometimes you want to keep your eyes always downfield and your feet moving where they need to be in the pocket because – you know that's something that's always evolving for a quarterback. But the other part is, again, related to those weapons, they might need a little bit more time to do that. Right. If you're bailing he out of the pocket, on that in 2016, right, yeah, right. right. And if, but if you're bailing out of the pocket to extending plays, that's very different from staying tight inside the pocket. I think you sometimes saw him bail. Pitt comes to mind. A game he was a little bit too hyped for uh, Ohio State. You, you kind of have to throw out the window because he had zero time to, to throw. But you know, it, it's just a matter of staying in that pocket as long as you possibly can, and then making throws from there. But it, it's I would estimate that he'll continue to get better, maybe not in every single area, because you look at down the middle, I mean, completing almost 70% of his passes, 72% except for the top. left. Yeah. yeah. But for him, it's, it's just the smaller things. The reads can be cleaner. Um, and, and that's something he works on, you know, every week during the regular season and at camp. Had a so, pretty good receiver coming out of the backfield as well. Yeah, yeah. And Juwan Johnson, his connection with him, I, you know, with another year of them being on the same, you know, line on the depth chart. I think will be fascinating because that's a dude who can go and get, you know, a key catch on third down, a jump ball in the end zone, and a lot of stuff that you just said. We a last lost. second touchdown, for instance. Yeah, yeah. his only touchdown. Game-winning touchdown. That's yeah. one of the weirder stats yeah. from last year. But everything Hamilton and Gesicki brought, the jump balls, the third down catches, he's going to have to fill that role for them. Right. And Tompkins as well. I mean, we don't talk about DeAndre Tompkins yeah. enough. Um, we'll see what, what he can do, especially if he's in the slot this year. So. That came up on uh, on the Q&A on the board. I didn't throw it in the mailbag. But someone asked if he was getting overlooked. I yeah, think you I think, know how I, I feel so. about that. Yeah, I think so. No doubt. Um, but he's so versatile. I mean, you you don't need to slot him. Or you don't need to put him in the slot for good. That was terrible. That, no, that was great. You, you don't need to put him in the slot. You don't need to pigeonhole him to playing the you know the Z or whatever. So, um, you know, he can do some damage, especially downfield. I mean, he shouldn't see. have been splitting snaps with Saeed Black no, last year. I'll I, just put it like that. I know wrote, you feel that way. Wrote a column about that. About that. But, it's out there. Uh, right, anyway, so, let's uh, get stupid. Let's get stupid. It's been a lot of smart But I was going to talk about shovel passes. No. Same thing. Anyway. Oh! Uh, all right. So the stupid Penn State Power Rankings debuted last episode. Uh, in case you missed it, we've decided to fill this content season. Which kind of debuted organically a few weeks ago, and then we, we really got into it officially last episode. Uh, so. Ranking players by their potential as bouncers is not stupid. It's a great exercise. I wanted to bring up Nana's potential as a you, Okay. All right. So, yeah. So your number bouncer. three is going to be the freshman? Yeah. I mean, okay. look at him. He's, he looks 40 years old it's and we crazy. had uh jonathan thomas was one ryan buckholtz two yeah Nana's number three okay all right we'll go with that. then we moved on to penn state assistants as uh fortnite, fortnite players. players yeah and we projected why this week a lot of response to that by the way yeah i love yeah, that it's great I, I think people are coming aboard and if you have suggestions for future stupid penn tweet state them at Andrew, please <laughs> <laughs> tweet them drop them on the board we will take your suggestions again this is going to run basically all summer um so stupid penn state power rankings for this week avengers 
and how they would help Penn State's roster. So number one is going to be this guy, this spot would help, or woman, uh, hero, let's call them that, uh, help Penn State most. And then number five is kind of a luxury edition. Okay. Now, you're not a big uh, superhero movie guy. Not a good – I'm not a big going to the movies guy. I'm not you sure the last time. You chalk this up to kids and yeah, all that stuff per usual. Yeah, I'm going to up those, excuse, those walking excuses. Yes. Um, never been a big Avengers guy anyway. But, uh, hey, by the way, comicbook.com is, is a great spot for that. Ah, yeah. yes. <laughs> Company plug right there. But I, I actually had the same, you know, the, the same outlook as you. I don't know a ton about the superheroes, but I can tell you what – the Hulk would be an impressive defensive tackle. Yeah, let's go off at the top. Let's Number not one. build this up. Yeah. You need a big D tackle. No one is blocking the Hulk. Right. The only thing you worry about is loss of life really inside there. But again, those are you know guys that we talked about, <laughs> like banging heads and everything. That's something he can do. Uh, you also need to keep him you know, in Hulk mode for the entire game. I don't know what you do with him on the sidelines. Right. But here's the thing. You don't need to rotate that dude out. So you solve a problem. Oh, we need a second or third stringer. No, you need to find out who of Kevin Givens and Robert Windsor you're bumping down because the Hulk is getting his And he can handle collisions apparently. Yeah. He, you, he can teach Judge Cole. You want him more as a three technique, like get in the backfield or you're saying, hey, take the nose and you got to occupy the three guys on the inside. Perfect. Which one? No, I'm asking. Oh, me? I think yeah. he's a one tech. I you think, think he's he, a one tech? He's a gap filler and he can just throw guys out of the way. Yeah. So, man, that'd be fun. All right, number two. Um, Thor at linebacker. I didn't feel great about this one, but more from a size perspective, he's a little bit tall. But when you've got a hammer, yeah, and you know, people, you are known for your hammer. I mean, that just screams linebacker to me. He can make certain calls up there. He's taken over sometimes in terms of you know, he's had his own movies, played the lead, made the plans, and executed. And that's really what you need. Dude, Plus, imagine Thor's face as the face of linebacker. You. Yeah, that's a handsome. People love it. A handsome it, I, I mean, I don't think you have to go any further than if your name is Thor and you're a middle linebacker, you're probably going to be good. So, yeah. All right. Number three, uh, Iron Man of safety. This is my favorite pick of all of them. Dude's got range. He's got range. He can fly around. Speaking of someone who's laid plans and executed them and coordinated a defense, you've got to do that at safety. I think Tony Stark is ready. Um, you're going to fly around. I, I, I don't think you can throw long against Iron Man. Probably not. No, he can fly. I think. I don't know. I, I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> there, have been, there have been about five of them. There's, yeah, seventeen Avengers movies, and yeah, that might be lowballing it. Okay, well, we've got two more. So, is this going to be your biggest contribution here with Iron Man, or you want to jump in on four or five? I'll take Captain America at tight end at four. So, I mean, he's got a shield that can pretty much wall off the defense. I mean, that's that's basically what you do as a tight end is you you sit you set the edge. You can do that with a shield. And he's Captain America. He can do whatever the hell he wants. See, I, this is from my favorite to least favorite pick amongst them because I just think Captain America, especially in the latest editions of the Avengers where they're fighting this Titan Thanos, is is largely useless, right? Like he's strong. He's got the shield. But you really need your higher level heroes kind of taking on that dude of the universe. Okay. Him at tight end, though, I think fits because he's he's athletic. You mentioned he can block with the shield. You imagine him coming across in that split zone where the handoff and Gasicki was usually going opposite in the line of scrimmage. That defensive end at the other end doesn't know what's coming to him. That's tough. All right. No, I'll take your word for it. I mean, he can make your roster better, I think is what he can do. Yeah. Because he's, he's, he's freaking Captain America. He yeah. do what he wants. Okay. So. Yeah, not my favorite, um, but I think it fits. All right, number five. This is the luxury pick because you're kind of running out of uh, heroes here. But if we missed one, let us know. Doctor Strange on the sideline with the headset. This dude can look into the future, see all the different possibilities. He can reverse time. If you ever need a challenge, you just go, hey, Doctor Strange, is it worth it? 
I mean, this would be the, the, the best thing to come to a sideline, I think, since the headset, right? Like, since you can relay information up do, to Do you up put them on the sideline or you put them in the box? Uh, no, sideline. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Because direct communication, he's on there, anything. And honestly, if you wanted to, you know, cause an interception every once in a while, I mean, he can, he can do that and send people in different locations with just really just a, a move of his hands. All right. Now, I didn't see Doctor Strange, so we're going to exit this because I know you really want to. But you have one more. Nick Fury. To your credit. I, I, I don't know anything about the Avengers, as evidenced by the last five minutes. But <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Find a spot for Samuel L. Jackson. He could be a recruiter for all you, you – know, for all I Recruiting care. coordinator. Yeah, recruiting coordinator, Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson. He's in everything. Why can't he be in this? What a segue. <laughs> all right. So if Nick Fury is, uh, is recruiting. Would Nick Fury land Devin Ford, Brandon Smith, and Antonio Alfano? Um, see, I have my honest answer. But I, I think we should give the folks the real answer of what's going to happen. Devin Ford and Antonio Alfano announcing on Friday. Brandon Smith announcing on Monday. Um, you know, it's uh, – I think – Two of three right now. I mean, this is, I'll, I'll just get my predictions out of the way. I think Devin Ford, I think Brandon Smith picked Penn State. I think Antonio Alfano picks Alabama, as I've been saying, since he set that uh, decision date. And this is a pretty good haul for Penn State if that comes to fruition. Devin Ford, you've got your your star running back. Um, I think he's a, he's a very good running back. I think Rivals has him nine in the country overall. I think that's a little bit high. Um, we have him in our, uh, I think, top 125 or something like that. He's, he's, a, he's got an, a, a very good skill set. I don't think he does any one thing elite. I mean, well rounded. He's not a four four kid. Yeah, he's he's a very well rounded player. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's got uh, terrific one cut ability. I think he'd be a great pickup as a running back. Um, Penn State recruiting running backs very well right now. Um, will they bring in two in twenty nineteen? I mean, I, I, I still think that's what they want to do, especially because you're losing Mark Allen and Jonathan Thomas. But at the same time, I mean, obviously that's not an easy sell to be a second running back in a class. Right. So, um, but I think they get forward. And I think he's he'd be a great pickup for Penn State. Brandon Smith is interesting to me, and the headliner here as the one five star amongst the group because he takes that official to Texas A and M, and you know it's it's different the cycle because kids can take those in the spring, but you know has long been a Penn State. You know, perceived lean, yeah, right, perceived lean. And as much as you know, he he's had interest from across the board and visited places. That's been very steady. Like his his crystal ball has really not changed. Is there any reason whatsoever to expect an upset? And I'm not trying to cause panic as much as last episode. You're, I was suggesting the panic. The I masses, love right? I love the panic, but you know they've established a relationship for a long time. It's it's been very good to Penn State and to Smith. Um, but I, you know, as someone who, if I were a five star, of course you explore other options, right. and that, which isn't to say that he hasn't so far. The ones that he seems legitimate, and but. that's and that's the thing. Going back on his timeline, he's he's seen these schools, and and I think that's the thing that jumps out to me about Brandon Smith is you know he he's done these tours, he's seen all kinds of schools, he saw Texas A and M officially. He was a big fan of Jimbo Fisher and their staff when they were at Florida State, um, but he's he's seen the schools. He had the the timeline for September October. He wanted to take a couple of officials, but I, I really think he's just seen enough. I mean. He, he, he's been around the recruiting process for you know well over a year, almost two years now. Um, so he, he's been to a lot of schools. He's been to Penn State several times. Had a great visit to Penn State, uh, I think early April. Um, so I just I think that he's seen all that he's needed to see. If you know Brandon Smith, he's a very low key kid. He fits the Brandon Smith moniker very Smith well. <laughs> yes. um, but no, I mean I, I just think he's he's a perfect fit.
it for Penn State. And you don't say that about a ton of guys, but you know, I met him last summer, and immediately after meeting him, and I've covered Penn State, uh, you know, recruiting for, since 2006. There's a there's a certain number of guys that you meet, and you say. That's a Penn State guy, and and Brandon Smith was one of them, um, you know, with his family and everything like that. So, um, you know, I I just have liked where Penn State has stood. Ohio State's been in the mix. Clemson's been in the mix. Uh, You know, Texas A&M, he got the official. He's been to all these places. He's seen these things, and I think – and I still think it's going to be Penn State. Okay. What, yeah, uh, and, that, what, and that's a, and that's a big one. I mean, he's yes, huge. he's freaking he's good. Uh, if you put his tape on, and and I, I typically, you know, if you follow me, you know, I don't don't throw the word elite around a lot about a lot of guys. I think Brandon Smith's an elite defender. Um, mm-hmm. Thought Micah, you know, Micah was an elite defender last year. Brandon Smith, he's a linebacker. He plays linebacker in high school. He's he's he doesn't look like a linebacker. He's six four. He's two twenty five or whatever. Um, so he's not a, a typical six two two twenty five thumper or anything like that. Guy flies to the ball and he finishes. And I love I love his tape. So he'll stay a linebacker. That's what they're that's what they're hoping. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's a big kid. He's he's still growing a little bit, but he moves well enough that they think he can play linebacker. And I think he can play linebacker too. So the answer to your question, yes. Okay. Okay. So uh, Ford and Alfano on Friday. Smith on Monday, 5 p.m., all from their local high schools. They'll make the announcement. Yeah, I think Ford's 4 p.m., and I think he's doing it on Facebook Live, but I think that's the last time. That's off the top of my head. Alfano's in the afternoon as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, like I said, I, I, I see Alabama there. I know Penn State has had him on campus several times, but just don't, I, I don't think it's happening. So, um, and, and I think Penn State will be fine. No, I, I see a lot of people panicking about that. I know you're a big panic guy. I just like to stoke your fire. So I, I think Penn State will be okay. Okay. So. Um, all right. Moving forward. Yeah. Let's say all of that happens as you foresee. And I think most people, if you, if you followed Ford's crystal, recent crystal balls, all pointed to Penn State. Brandon Smith, since the beginning of time, has been a Penn State lean. Um, Alfano has been, you know, more Alabama for the last month or so. Right. What happens after that? Is there a, a string of commitments who comes up next? Is there a potential for Penn State to get hot? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. you, know, you, you talk about Ford and Smith. These are guys that are very visible on social media. They're 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 four and five star guys. I you know at least both of them I guess have a, at least one five star ranking. So you know you get a little bit of juice back into Penn State's name. You know they get they, they they've got a class of five kids, five, five very good players, five excellent kids. Um, and uh, you know if they can if they can put that together, you're looking at uh, at uh, the the place that I'm looking at defensive backfield. You've got you're in on a ton of guys. Uh, Tyler Rudolph, Marquise Wilson, Jaquan. Brisker, uh, Lewisine just set up an official to Penn State, Cameron Kelly, who we haven't even talked about in Virginia. I mean, there's just a ton of options there. And, you know, space can space can dissipate pretty quickly. So if you're looking at uh, dominoes to fall, I look at defensive backs, the offensive line we've been tracking for, you know, probably uh, well over a month because we thought Celine Wormley would be on, uh, on board at this point. So I just think I look at those two spots. Defensive back, offensive line, you know, and will it be a waterfall where Penn State goes from three commitments to, you know, eight or nine or ten commitments? I'm not sure that that's going to happen in, in the span of a couple of weeks, but I do think the potential is for, for Penn State to go on a roll from mid-May to, to early June. I think it's definitely there. And six defensive backs is a lot. So yeah. let me just jump into the mailbag right now. Okay. Because someone wanted to know how many defensive backs will they take given that this upcoming class should be a little bit smaller. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tight. I mean, they're, they're probably – they set out to take three or four and they're probably going to end up with five. And that's – you know, is it too many? 
maybe from an on paper standpoint, it is, but you're going to look at turning some of these guys away. And these are guys that they've targeted from the start uh, the Wilsons, the Rudolphs, uh, Seen, Brisker, Cameron Kelly, and there's a couple other guys. I mean, they're, they're guys that are really good players that they can't move on because they're in such good shape with some of these other guys. So, um, so I, I think the number ends up being five. Uh, it, it's a stretch on paper, but when you look at the talent that they're, they have to bring in, especially with the, the local talent base not being what to, what you'd like it to be, then I think it probably ends up at five. And that's the, whatever five they can get out of that group is a pretty good group. Right. I mean, that's, that's a lot of talent right there. Okay. Uh, next up, moving to defensive tackle. Cause again, let's say Alfano goes to Alabama as expected. A lot of defensive tackle offers flying out there for 29 kids as of late all over the country. Uh, Rodas Johnson is in that mix specifically. Is he a take? Um, and if not, let's talk about those recent offers who would, you know, who has the most interest there making the trip to Penn state, even though they had just, really recently heard they hosted a pair this weekend Hakeem Beeman who's I think listed as a defensive end some places I see him as a defensive tackle long term uh being explosive three technique I I really like him a a lot more as a defensive tackle than as a defensive end um and Jared Harrison Hunt who's a guy from New York that Penn State targeted early they've had him on campus a couple times and you know he's got the LSU offer I think he wants to go to South Carolina as well and check things out but uh tremendously athletic prospect on the raw side no doubt so defensive tackle not a huge need in this class. Um, one, maybe two. Um, so, so if you're looking at this big pool, I mean, that can get crowded pretty quickly. Uh, Mozzie Smith, they had in from Michigan on an official visit for the blue white game. I think ideally he, he's your guy, but you're going to have to beat Michigan for him. And that's not going to be easy. I think, I think he ends up at Michigan. Um, in the end, Josh Harris is a kid from North Carolina wants to take an official visit. They, they've offered a couple of kids. Taquan Johnson committed to Clemson two days ago. Uh, they just offered him Ben Smiley in Virginia. And <laughs> Rook or Horo. Uh, oh, I was I waiting on podcast for I this. I know, I know. Uh, from Michigan. Try to actually visited in April. Um, Rook. Rook or Horo. Damn. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. I hope I he just, commits tomorrow. Yeah, I know you do. Emergency pod. Good, you can write that one. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think that there's options there looking to add an athletic guy. Um, Rodas Johnson, of course, is in that mix as well. Uh, and with with no commitments right now, I mean, you can look at pretty much that entire list that I just named, and you know they they, they take any one of them. I think so. Um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out because it's it's number one, it's not a huge need. Number two, very limited space. I've always been of the opinion that Harrison Hunt's going to end up in the class somehow. He's, he's an athletic kid that they sort of compare to Tyreek Smith, uh, probably a poor man's Tyreek Smith from last cycle. So, um, so they've got options there. Um, as I mentioned earlier with Alfano going elsewhere, I mean, they're going to be okay. I think they'll be okay. All right. Uh, last but not least, this is a good big picture question. Uh, and we'll touch upon more recruiting specific stuff, not maybe topical, but like, you know, stand back and and look at this from, you know, 500,000, 30,000 feet. Geographical recruiting territories for each of the assistants. Where do they go inside of Pennsylvania, outside? I think a couple are not. Like Jay Wansider obviously does a lot of work in Florida. Tim right. Banks, Michigan native. He's in and around Detroit. But the non-obvious ones, how do they split this up? Where do they go? I mean, they, they split it up by mostly connections and things like that. So a guy like David Corley, who is from the 757 uh, Tidewater area in Virginia. So he'll go down there. Jay Wan Sider has some connections in Northern Virginia. He'll go there. Uh, uh, Tyler Bowen is in the DMV, coached at Maryland and went to Maryland. So he's got a lot of connections there. So he's in Maryland and, and, and 
splitting with Sean Spencer and splitting with Tim Banks, they really like to carve out some of these bigger areas. Like, for instance, uh, the WCAC in, in D.C., Tyler Bowen is recruiting offensive prospects at St. John's, DeMatha, Good Council. All the, mm-hmm. Tim Banks is recruiting defensive prospects there. And so it's, it, it's really fascinating from that aspect. Um, you got your coordinators who basically are offensive and defensive specialists now. Brent Pry used to have Virginia and Northern Virginia did very well there with Yitor Gross Matos and a few other guys. Um, now he's kind of seeded that to uh, to Sider and Corley and a little bit of Bowen as well. Um, the, Phil Galliano has uh, Philly, South Jersey, Delaware. Of course, he coached at Rutgers, so he has those uh, connections. Coached about four times at Rutgers. Yeah, he did. Uh, Sean Spencer has been all over the place. Connecticut uh, is, is one of his strongholds. Uh, of course, he knows a lot of people up there in New York, New York City. Um, so they're all over the map. Um, it's by design. And, of course, everybody's got a little bit of uh, Pennsylvania. Terry Smith is in uh, Pittsburgh. Very strong in Pittsburgh. Matt Limegrover has Pittsburgh uh, ties as well, um, and he'll see a lot of the old line as, as you'd expect. Too. Yeah, like some of it's position specific. Yeah, and the way that Penn State recruits nationally is sort of uh, segmented. You've got you've got basically bigger cities. So you've got Tim Banks in Detroit and Indianapolis. Ricky Ronnie used to have in Indianapolis. Matt Limegrover's got Chicago. Nashville is there. Houston's there. Dallas is there. Of course, Jay Wan Sider is in Tampa. Terry Smith does a little bit of Tampa as well. Atlanta is a, is a spot that they've tried to hit hard. Corley's got connections down there and Spencer's got connections and Terry Smith has going there's just, there's a lot of connections for the staff and it, it's got to stem from the bigger cities because if you're trying to get kids to state college, Pennsylvania, they basically you don't want to have them drive for an hour and a half to an airport fly into pittsburgh and drive two hours fly into harrisburg or or, you know because it's not cheap to fly into state college so um so you've got to hit those uh got to hit those areas harder um you know more concentrated areas and i think you get the most for when you go out for a spring evaluation visit if you can visit five or six schools in in the nashville area or indianapolis or something like that and and i think that's really where, where you're coming from uh tyler bowen's got since Cincinnati, uh, Terry Smith and Sean Spencer, you know, that may be a product of the, the defensive alignment that they've gone after in the Columbus area. They're in the Columbus area. Seen a lot more of Tim Banks this, uh, this evaluation period, just kind of showing up everywhere, assistant defensive coordinator, and of course, uh, safety's coach. So he's going to Texas to see Lewis Seen next week. He was week. in Arizona. Yeah, he was in Arizona to see Noah Pola Gates and California. So they're, they're all over the map. Um, you know, if you sit down and really charted it, um, I'm sure it would be a little bit more organized than the thoughts that I'm trying to put together uh, right here, but uh, they've just been all over the place this spring, and it's been it's been kind of crazy to sort of track where they're going. And of course, Jay Wan Sider in Florida, I've written down here to talk a little bit about that. Um, he's going down. He's seeing his guys. He offered his guys when he was hired at Penn State. Um, guy, you know, Mark Anthony Richards and and John Dunmore and some other guys like that. And I think that they'll probably get some official visits from some of these guys. Don't know that you're going to see the results right away because uh, a lot of the guys that he targeted at Florida obviously are still being targeted by Florida, still being targeted by Florida State, Miami. Those are going to be tough pulls. I mean, those are going to be guys that they're after that – you know, it, it's one thing to take an Alabama kid like Christian Campbell from, uh, you know, the schools that are offering him that's not Alabama and not Auburn, you know, but it's another thing to go into Florida and try and take one from the big three. So we'll see probably steady progress there and guys making visits and everything. I'm not sure that we see the immediate results that people expect to see right away from J1 Sider. Got it. And that's not that's not a slight on him. No, it's just a really tough thing to get Florida kids to State College, Pennsylvania, more than once because you're going to have to get them back more than once for for them to get uh, to get on board. 
So, Ooh, how about that? You good? I'm, I'm great. That was great. Yeah. I, I came forth with a lot more information than I thought I had in my head. So that's just get rolling. Yeah. I didn't want to get in your way. I'm just wondering who I didn't mention because somebody's always going to say, oh, this guy's not recruiting. And that's more, that's more two staffs ago than the staff. So, because everybody's out and about. So, now I'm trying to think. Oh, Get out ahead of it. I think if anything, they everyone mentioned. got multiple mentions. Maybe, yeah, maybe and, Ricky and Ronnie just won. I kind of, I kind of glossed over the coordinators because what the coordinators are doing, and Ricky's all over the place watching quarterbacks grow because they yeah. want to see a, a twenty nineteen, another twenty nineteen quarterback in the class. So he's seeing quarterbacks uh, throw, and he's also visiting the top offensive top offensive line targets, or excuse me, top offensive targets. So Matt Limegrover goes in to see Ja'Kai Moore in Virginia and, and Tyler Bowen recruits Ja'Kai Moore as well. So they might send three guys to his school and they can't talk to him right now. It's the evaluation period. You yep. bump into him or whatever, but you can't actually talk to him. So, um, so, so Ronnie's on with that. Brent Pry was, you know, as we're recording was up at St. Thomas Moore on Tuesday morning for Tyler Rudolph. So he's going to be, these guys, these are going to be guys that come in and, and sort of are icing on the cake to the area recruiters. So what you're saying is, is James really, does nothing. James does nothing in the spring. He's probably in Florida right now at the beach. Okay. I hope, I hope he's, I hope he checked out of this a long time ago. <laughs> I don't need that phone call. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, uh, the, the, he does a lot of the on-campus things. And of course, you don't have to cover your butt. We're clearly for sure. those. Yeah. For those not in tune with the rules, the head coach can't be on the road right now. So, you know, he's, he's got to do all his recruiting on campus and, and things like that. And he's certainly staying after it. And like I said, I think, uh, you're going to see the, you're going to see the results from this effort, I think probably sooner than later. Yeah. So you're already here. Keep panicking keep- until Friday. And then I think you'll, you'll be good to go. Right? No, I was just going to leave it to keep panicking and you're, the head coach does less than everybody else. And you heard it here first from uh, lines 24 seven editor, Sean Fitz. <laughs> Wow. All right, publisher. Um, but uh, I mean, we thought we couldn't get better than my intro. I think that ending just stopped everything. That was the best segment of them all. But no, that so, that, so the intro that, was my favorite. The, the, yeah, the ending the was, mine. was uh, But no, that that information is is tremendous. I think the person who asked that question uh, definitely got their money's worth here in a free podcast. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, keep them coming. If you have suggestions too, as I mentioned, for the stupid Penn State power rankings, we've got all month. Next episode is going to be a special episode. I don't know if you want to tease it, uh, just say it outright, or stop me right here. Uh, You can go on with it. Yeah, that's fine. All right. We did it last year. Second annual Penn State fantasy football draft. Wow. Where we draft two teams from the current roster, and you, the fans at home, decide who had the better team. Me or Sean? Obviously, my team was better last year. Um, I'm interested more with the – you've got more offensive line options every year. So, you know, that really can help your entire team. And here's the other part too. There's no – I mean, who would you – trying to think. Number one? You, mean, yeah, you had Saquon and Tommy Stevens, which is going to be a big yeah. uh, edge there, which kind of dictated the rest of the draft. You jumped at the quarterback and I sat back and – Which took, I kind of had to though. Took the because, line, because yeah. If you would grab Trace McSorley third overall, and I had passed, I had taken someone else too, then you could have had Tommy later on than I'm out of a quarterback. Right. So I'm kind of boxed in. Yeah. So how are we going to decide the number one pick this year? I'm taking four quarterbacks right off the bat. <laughs> Give me Will, Cliff, Trace, and Tommy. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. The Michael Schuster led Team Callahan. I am, and uh, and I will take the top. Uh, for defensive tackles. Okay. And you cannot draft the Hulk. Damn it. All right. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Next week should be a good time. Uh, we'll have the draft done ahead of time, but we'll recap it, have it up on the site next week, and then you are off to uh, sunny South Carolina. Yeah. Taking the family to Charleston again. Uh, great trip. Can't wait. 
Bring back some food this time, will you? Shrimp and grits. I'll pack some shrimp and grits for you. Maybe it won't go so well in the uh, airplane. Maybe some beer, though? Sounds good to me. All right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We are, of course, on iTunes if you want to leave us a, a good rating. Um, or yeah, we haven't had one in a while. Constructive feedback. Yeah, so. Good um, or bad, we take it all. We, we, we do take it all. Mostly the good. Mostly the good. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We will see you next week. 